Good afternoon, America. This is John Harvey, your host of the Modern Conservative Podcast. Happy Tuesday. Happy 5 o'clock Tuesday here in the great state of Utah. Um, today, I haven't spoke, well, in the past week or so, I haven't done much speaking as far as an hour-long talk show. But today, I have a really, really fantastic guest, a good friend of mine here in the state of Utah. And uh, he's worthy of an entire hour because, hour because there's so much going on that this man knows that uh, a lot of us can learn from. As a matter of fact, he was on the Glenn Beck show about three weeks ago, maybe give or take three weeks ago, and did a fantastic job. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to welcome Mr. Marlo Oaks. Marlo, how are you? Great. Good to be here, John. Thank you. No, good to have you here. So, Marlo, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what brings you to the world, this podcast, other than my invitation. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, so I uh, originally from Utah and and uh, spent most of my career in institutional investment management and investment banking. And uh, the uh, treasurer in the state of Utah uh, took a different job last year. And um, I worked with the deputy treasurer at a previous role here in Utah. And so uh, my wife and I called him to see how we could help him with his campaign. And uh, he said, well, I'm not really political. I'm not I'm not running. Uh-huh. And uh, we said, what? What do you mean? And uh, he said, you ought to run Marlowe. I'm sorry, I'm not political. I'm not doing that. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and then I started looking at the role a little bit more closely. And, you know, it's part investment management, part investment banking and uh-huh. part people skills. And so I thought, oh, that's hmm, that, that kind of fits my background. Um, let's see who's in the race. Uh, and, you know, there were only a, a few names in the race at that point, but um, in looking at their background, I thought, oh, there's not really anybody that has what I think is, is the right background. Um, so then I had conversations with a few people and at the end of the day, I thought, yeah, you know what, I better, mm-hmm. I better put my name in the hat. So uh, here I am. <laughs> And now you're running for that seat right now, right? Yeah. So um, after after the appointment, then um, I, you have to be on the next ballot, I guess. And so uh, I'll be on the ballot this year to finish out the remainder of the prior treasurer's term. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll need to run again in two more years to get it back on a four-year cycle. So, you know, we, I had mentioned earlier, I had seen you, I heard you on Glenn Beck. And uh, I mean, I, you did a great job. Oh, and, thank you. And the main reason that you were there is something that's going on in the country that a lot of people don't know nothing about or much about at all. And that is right. ESG. Um, mm. Could you tell the audience what ESG is? Now, mind you, you're not just talking to people in Utah. You're talking to people around the country and, and other countries. So let everybody know. Here's a chance to educate people on what ESG really is. Yeah, no, and this is really important. So, and and as often as is often the case, uh, it it has words that sound very positive. Um, it, it stands for environmental, social, and governance, and it's really a, a, an investment rating 
but more than an investment rating, it's a political rating. So basically, companies are rated um, like a, a credit rating, for example, but but it's a political rating. Um, they are rated according to their compliance with environmental uh, factors, social factors, and governance factors. And the reason that it's political is because there are two very important subjective areas. Number one is who's deciding what the factors will be. And number two, who's deciding what the correct answer is to those factors. Mm -hmm. So, um, So in the environmental realm, right, the big push globally is for net zero carbon emissions. Um, and, and the reason that that is the case is because we've been told that, uh, that we are going to all die unless we <laughs> right, take care of uh, climate change. Um, the problem is... Marlo, this, yes. Marlo, let me say something. For those who believe that agenda, you're going to die regardless what the condition of the planet is. Eventually, <laughs> your expiration date will be up. Okay. Yeah, well, that's, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the, um, the you know the idea behind the uh, climate change is that um, we have to stop carbon emissions, um, and and therefore uh, that that gets translated into. Uh, cutting off capital to the fossil fuel industry, right? Um, but we're not talking about what is the cost of doing that? What is the cost to uh, humanity of, uh, of getting rid of fossil fuel or of traditional energy? So um, basically, think of yourself living in, in the 1800s where there is no uh, baseload power, you don't have uh, hospital equipment or machinery or automobiles or any number of things, air conditioning, uh, heat, whatever it is, right? Um, uh, clothing. Do, have we invested enough in cotton and wool to replace the petroleum in our clothing? Uh, there's a whole host of issues that nobody is discussing uh, when it comes to promoting ESG, um, because we're only talking about a very narrow sliver of impact, and that is the impact of human beings uh, on climate or the impact of, uh, of um, carbon emissions on the climate. What we aren't talking about is what is the impact on human beings of, of getting rid of fossil fuels. So that's one of the, one of the major problems um, with, with ESG. If you think about values-based investment strategies, right? So um, ESG, you might lump it in with that because it, it really is an outgrowth of an earlier uh, values-based investment strategy, and that's socially responsible investing. Socially responsible investing is the idea that you don't invest in certain businesses or, or uh, industries because you don't want to participate in uh, profiting from w- what they're doing, right? And so your values may dictate that you don't want to participate in tobacco or invest in alcohol or gambling, things of that nature. Um, the opposite of that is actively looking for investments that address a problem that might be of interest to you personally. So Mm -hmm. cancer, for example, Um, if I'm interested in in, uh, cancer, 
Um, it's called impact investing. Uh, if I want to be an impact investor in cancer, I'm going to look for innovation of companies that are innovating around cancer to eliminate cancer. Maybe they have a therapeutic of some, some sort. That's impact investing. It's positive screening. You're looking for places to put your money that can have a positive impact on society. ESG is neither of those. ESG is an outgrowth of SRI, socially responsible investing. And where socially responsible investing is more passive, it's hands-off, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's avoiding companies. ESG engages with companies, engages with the market to change them. And so ESG investors went into ExxonMobil and changed board seats, got three environmental activists on the board and started cutting production, forcing ExxonMobil to cut production of oil and gas. Now, uh, coming into 2022, when we desperately need oil and gas, that is a very negative impact on all of us in society because one of the big drivers of inflation today is the lack of capital going into oil and gas extraction in the United States. And so right when we needed oil and gas, these uh, activist investors go in, ESG goes in, cuts uh, capital or cuts money going into the very things that we need. Mm -hmm. And we're all paying the price today for that. So I'll pause there. I um, have uh, some friends of mine. They've been dealing with the bank, specifically Wells Fargo and, and the U.S. Bank for many, many, many years. And they own a pawn shop. They're actually pretty big here in Utah. They own a pawn shop. So about six months ago, they got a letter from both these banks saying that they were no longer, they're going to close their account because they sell firearms. Hmm. And so I asked one of the owners, I said, so what do you think that, why do they think, oh, According to what they told us is that we're not practicing ESG. We're practicing ESG. You're not socially, environmentally, what is it? Emotionally, social, and governance compliant. Yeah, environmental. So mm-hmm. Yeah, what? Yeah. So they um, closed their counter, and they had been with them for 22 years. Wow. This was just this well last year. This happened. And a lot of people, you know, I know what ESG is, um, but because I spoke about it several times. But the thing is, a lot of people have the attitude, Marlo, that oh, that won't happen here. You know, um, they're not doing that. That's how they can get away doing it. Because when you have that kind of attitude, that's when they do get away with it. That's right. And and when people aren't aware of what's happening, then it, it becomes easier to do it, especially if it seems so outrageous, right? Then people are like, oh, that, that could never happen. Well, I'll give you an example here in the state of Utah. We have a, a, um, a power generating co-op. So this um, several cities that came together and they own a, a power uh, system uh, that, that generates power for these different cities in the state of Utah. And their uh, insurance, one of their insurance um, providers, the one that provides automobile insurance for uh, different um, fleet vehicles of the different cities, their utility, right, that uses the power, uh, they came to that uh, co op power uh, insurance broker and said, we're no longer going to provide automobile insurance. 
for the co-op and uh, the insurance company that provided the insurance for the business itself. So the ability to actually have the power company generate power, right? If you don't have insurance to operate the business, then you cannot operate. So the insurance company came to the, the insurance broker and said, we are no longer going to provide insurance for the, the operation of the power company. And the insurance broker asked both of these insurers, well, why? It's because it's coal-based power. Now, if you follow that to the logical conclusion, you have to say this is essentially implementing economic sanctions like you see in wartime. Mm -hmm. We have U.S. and American businesses declaring war on U.S. businesses and by uh, extension, U.S. citizens, because their goal apparently is to cut off power to cities uh, including hospitals and and other essential services. Um, and that's why I say the goal here is to put us back into an 1800s lifestyle. So what is the cost uh, of doing that? I mean, the costs are enormous. And it is done in the name of uh, of climate change. And there is a lot of debate about whether uh, what is the... Uh, impact of climate change, that's certainly not a, a, um, uh, a finalized, you know, thing that people all agree on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're, we've essentially done away with any kind of debate and said, this is a, a closed case. Therefore, we need to uh, cut off um, uh, money to the fossil fuel industry, money, including insurance, so that those entities can no longer operate. Um, and that means what? Well, we nobody's answered that question. Yeah, I, um, I read somewhere where Exxon had a better ESG score rating than Tesla did because t- Elon Musk um, poked the bear. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and Russian uh, Russian oil companies had better uh, ESG ratings than U.S. oil companies. Russian banks had better ESG ratings than U.S. banks. Um, you know, it's it, it really is just a very subjective political score because, uh, again, who's deciding? what those factors are right on a so on the social side uh this is very problematic um because you essentially have um outside entities that are dictating to businesses who they can hire what the, those uh what the profile of of their workforce should look like right with diversity equity and inclusion mm-hmm. and then dictating how much you can pay them um, it's not the business that's going to dictate these things. It's going to be some outside entities that have uh, have determined that they are uh, the arbiters of what's right and wrong in society, um, and and that's why it's so in the in, in the case of states, right? When we have mm-hmm. a, a an ESG rating on a state. It will. It can turn to uh, what investors would look at instead of just the credit rating. 
even if the ESG rating is separate, and that's how they, that's how S and P Global did it. Um, even if there's a separate rating for ESG, investors could look at the rating of a state ESG rating, and even if it's triple triple A, like the state of Utah, the highest rating, investors could look at our ESG rating and say, "Oh, well, they they don't deserve the best rates in the marketplace. They don't deserve." Um, uh, borrowing money at the lowest rates because of their ESG uh, score. And that's not controlled by the state of Utah. That's controlled by some outside entity that is determining what the factors are and what is the correct answer to those factors. And so you lose your sovereignty and your self-determination. And that's exactly what's going to happen to individuals as well. If the banks uh, who who believe in this agenda and the SEC and other parts of the government have their way and implement ESG uh, across the economy. You know, it's funny because the federal government as a whole can't implement ESG. So what they're doing is working with these corporations which is actually against the, which is against the Constitution, actually. Absolutely. They're working with these people and uh, saying, hey, look, you know, we need you to do blah, 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 X, Y and Z. But what we'll do is we'll tax rates change or better interest on your um, your loans that you need to grow your company, um, you know, Basically. Or maybe it's regulation. We won't regulate you as much. I don't know what the incentives are, right? I, I don't know um, what the federal government is is um, telling these corporations, although I did see something about uh, a headline about um, uh, the, the administration uh, wanting to silence the debate around climate change, right, with social media companies and, and trying to get social media companies to um, censor people. Now, that is something that we're all familiar with, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You go, ending up in, in Facebook jail or being knocked off of Twitter, right? But these private companies can do um, things that the government can't do, like take away people's First Amendment rights, Right. Uh, and so the ESG is very problematic if you are American and believe in the American form of government, because it, it, it bypasses our democratic process of passing laws through a legislature and undermines our free market capitalism. Because the only way you can get it to work is to have a whole bunch of people believe the same thing you do and decide that they're all going to put their money in that direction. So we're all going to take money away uh, from traditional energy, right? In order to Mm -hmm. make that work, you have to have a lot of large players um, that would normally step in in a free market where somebody stepped out, somebody steps in. Uh, the only way to to have your agenda uh, successfully implemented is to get a lot of people to think the same way you do. And so one of the one of the things that I say is that ESG takes the market out of the market. The only way you have a market is to have a lot of different views about the future. And that's why you have buying and selling of the same security on the same day, right? If you have only one viewpoint, that's what happened in 2008. Everybody was selling. That's not a market. You have to have buyers and sellers. And in order to have buyers and sellers, they have to have 
different views about the future. ESG tries to wipe that out so that everybody holds the same view about the future and therefore they can, they can implement an agenda that is uh, against our interests. So I guess you had mentioned something earlier that kind of triggered a thought of mine, you know, from meeting you and speaking with you before, I know Utah has a fantastic credit rating. Do But the thing is, that doesn't protect us from ESG because if we don't comply as a state, we're still subject to um, their tyranny. Yeah. The people mostly. So my I guess my question is, how do we keep it out of the state of Utah? I know, I know there's some states implementing legislature to make it illegal for banks and other organizations and businesses to conspire, because that's what it is, is they're conspiring to weaken the people. So in Utah, what do we have going on right now? Are you guys thinking about implementing a bill? Are you, are you uh, thinking about getting a bill sponsored to stop ESG in our state? Yeah, you know, it, it's um, it's tricky because um, what makes ESG so brilliant um, is that it is using the market to implement legislation. Um, and so it's um, I call it the invisible fist uh, because like Adam Smith's invisible hand. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it looks like capitalism and looks like free market capitalism, but it actually acts like tyranny or fascism or, you know, Marxism where it's force. And that's what legislation is. Legislation is force. Right. And so you're you're using the uh, capital, you're using money as a weapon against people to get them to behave how you think they should behave. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's legis- it's like legislate legislates legislature, um, uh, but they're using money to force the agenda, and that makes it difficult to uh, deal with legislatively um, because it's happening in the capital markets. So um, I can tell you, in the state of Utah, we have thirty bill files open right now. Um, related to ESG. So there's a tremendous amount of interest and we're looking at all a lot of different uh, options um, uh, associated with how do we deal with this? Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll have uh, continue to have a lot of discussions um, because we want to be uh, strategic and we want to be smart about, about what we do. Um, but people need to understand that it's not about the environment necessarily. No, it's not. It's not about, you know, trying to make society better. It's about preserving our freedoms. It's about uh, preserving free market capitalism, the ability for you and me to decide what kind of car we're going to drive or what kind of uh, how we're going to spend our money. Um, you know, it's that that's one of the most basic freedoms that we have is how do we spend, how do we want to spend our money? Um, and you know, people need to become aware of like the world economic forum, for example, uh, and, and what is their agenda? Because this fits right into that agenda. This is really European, um, in, in kind of its, its, um, uh, nature. It's very European, uh, and is coming from Europe and from the United States, United Nations, 
uh, from the World Economic Forum. And it's really like uh, fascism because you have the, uh, the bringing together of corporations and government to drive behavior. Uh, and and people should be very concerned about very concerned about this. You know, and it's interesting that you said that because I was just thinking all the stuff that you're telling me. I'm thinking to myself, it's sad. So many people do not really know what's going on in this country. There are a lot of people, Marlo, that exist, don't live. They just exist. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's going on in the country. Hell, they don't even know what's going on in their own neighborhood at times. Mm-hmm. And for me, been doing this for the few years that I've been doing this, I've learned that people want somebody else to die for their cause or fight for their cause. Because they like living in the dark because to them, living in the dark means there's nothing really happening. Right. But, Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. But when they walk up to the gas tank, then they're saying, why is gas $5 in a gallon? It's because you lived in your own little bubble, which made you completely ignorant to what's really going on in the real world. And that's what I'm afraid about USG, because somebody said to me about a week ago about ESG, he says, that's not really happening. That's just something Republicans are saying. And I said, yeah, like CRT and SEL, right? I says, why is it with you Democrats? You guys are the only people I know or species that I know that have no common sense. Why is it you guys going to click and you realize, let's listen to what these people are really saying. Because the last conspiracy theory we had was Joe Biden was going to be a piece of work. Well, guess what? Joe Biden is a piece of work. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I've told a lot of people when I'm talking about ESG, I've said, look, this is really a bipartisan issue. It's a, it it transcends politics. Um, If you care about the United States of America, if you care about free market capitalism, the ability to choose what you are going to eat, what you're going to buy, how you're going to spend your money, um, if you care about our constitutional form of government and the freedoms that that enshrines and provides all of us on a daily basis, if you care about any of that, then you will be against ESG, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, unaffiliated, I don't care what you are. At the end of the day, this is an American issue. If you care about our form of government and how we have set up our form of government, um, you will be against ESG. And you think about the United States of America. It was founded on the idea of plurality. Plurality meaning a lot of different um, institutions, right? Even the Constitution is, is pluralistic in its structure. There's three branches of government. There's uh, checks and balances between those branches, right? It's not a monarch. A monarch is the opposite of plurality, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, and so, our, our our Constitution was built on the idea of plurality and the markets are pro- are probably our most pluralistic institution because you have a whole bunch of different players with different views 
of uh, the, the future, and they're all coming together to transact and buy and sell. And that's a very powerful uh, mechanism. ESG substitutes our pluralistic institutions for centralized control. So instead of being able to decide what you're going to have uh, as a car, what kind of car you're going to drive, you're going to be told, well, your carbon footprint is uh, too large. You've got to cut it down. Uh, and so you're going to have to try maybe, maybe, maybe drive a different vehicle and only drive it so many miles. And then it's going to turn off. I, you know, who knows, mm -hmm. but that's the direction we're going is, is where we uh, suddenly lose our ability um, to decide how we're going to live. And we're being told how we are going to live so that we don't destroy the planet. Never mind that not everybody agrees uh, with that agenda or, or with the underlying uh, assumptions associated with that agenda. And that goes back to the word you just used previously, control. Absolutely. So they, since they can't, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, they figure they can control us, force us, starve us out, raise, raise economics where it's expensive, so expensive to exist. You have to conform with yes. the control. That's right. And, and one, of the, one of the key strategies or, or methods that is used and it's been used throughout time is crises. If you have a crisis, uh, a, a bad crisis, that is the time uh, when tyranny appears. And my fear is that we are going to see some very difficult times ahead um, that will be used to reduce freedoms. Uh, it's happened before and um, it's, it's a well-known playbook. And I, I'm very concerned that, that that's the path that we're going down. And as well as, as I, because uh, my fear is that this would actually get into our banking businesses, the food chain and the pressure that they put on these companies who needs to survive, well, we know what they're going to do. If they stand against them financially, they'll starve them out. Yeah. They'll make them comply financially. And that's what the federal, federal government does. This administration does really, really well. They like to give away money. Mm -hmm. They like to yeah. give away money and they figure that's the way they'll get the power that they need to implement some of these ludicrousies. Um, mm -hmm. My, I guess my, my next question is for you is um, as state treasurer, you sometimes deal with, well, let me back up. Why aren't more politicians in Utah outspoken about this such as you? Well, um, really the state treasurer is at the crossroads of politics and the capital markets. And that's really where ESG is. It's happening in the capital markets, but it's political. Um, and so it really is this kind of a natural treasurer's issue. Um, and, you know, thankfully in the state of Utah, uh, all of our kind of leaders, political leaders, signed on to a letter to S&P Global. Uh, so the, the all five constitutional officers, the governor, lieutenant governor, auditor, attorney general, treasurer, 
Speaker of the House, President of the Senate, and our two senators and four congressmen all signed a letter to S&P Global saying, uh, we do not want an ESG rating on the state of Utah. So that was, I believe, an unprecedented letter um, where we all came together and said, we do not want this in the state of Utah. Um, And so I've been very grateful for the support of all of the political leaders in this state. Idaho recently um, did the same thing. Uh, And I know the treasurer of West Virginia um, said the same thing. And there are other uh, states that are uh, looking at this issue themselves. So um, I do believe that this is uh, fighting ESG is going to have to come from the state's Um, Because there's such a strong cancel culture in corporate America, a lot of corporations are going along with it because they don't want to be viewed as uh, anti-environmental or, you know, against what this program sounds like. It's so positive, right? Um, And I think that's why it's it's so important for people to be educated about what it really is. And that's coercive capitalism, an invisible fist. Uh, force. Um, it's it's very anti-American, and, and most Americans, if they knew what it really was, would be completely against it. You know, I get so tired of hearing about people worrying about getting canceled or corporations getting cu- canceled or being of worried of being called an anti-environmentalist, safe company, um, because this is the stuff that invokes silence from people. Because they get they fear of being called something. Corporations fear of doing something opposing the other side. Um, or if you don't pass a good bill, you must be a racist. You know, it's we're, there's always a split between us, and it's usually some device that affect the constituents more so than the candidate. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you go to office and you represent the people. People need they need to represent the people. So the reason why I mentioned the politicians, because election is coming up for a lot of these state candidates in a few months. And uh, when they speak about something that concerns us in our own state. That's what we'd like to hear. Show us that you're knowledgeable. And if you're the incumbent, we want you to speak on things that affect us the most. But we want to hear you say it, because I personally want to know if you know about it. There's no doubt in my mind you know about ESG. I have <laughs> no problem with that. My problem is the other candidates, because that'll give us an idea in a sense how they're going to vote if we were trying to implement a law in our legislature where people are comfortable that the people we elect to go to office and represent us are going to do just that, represent us in a manner that makes us proud. I've told many politicians, Marlo, you do what you're supposed to do for the constituents. Your reelection will be the easiest easiest re-election you will ever have. It's just mm. that simple. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no politician that's doing his job should have a hard re-election. Unfortunately, there are some that are going to have a real hard, you know, re-election. So ESG is something that really, really bothers us, like SEL and, and CRT and the price of gas. Well, as Joe Biden called it, the Putin gas prices. Well, it's not Putin gas prices. The prices were up. Be okay for you guys out there that are listening that are pro Joe Biden. Gas was up before the war in Ukraine. January 1st, 2020, gas was $2.30 a gallon, 225 to 230 a gallon. It's double that 
and then some. It's not Putin. So get off that Putin train and wake up and realize what's really going on in that country, such as ESG. So let me give you an example of of why I say ESG uh, is impacting gasoline prices and leading to inflation. So in 2018, there were 48 oil and gas funds raised in North America among institutional investors representing uh, $39 billion. Uh, In 2020, um, there were 20, I forgot, 27, 24, I think 24 funds raised uh, representing $20.9 billion. Um, So almost cut in half just over those two years. And then in 2021, there were 11 funds raised $2.9 billion. That's a drop of 91% from just three years earlier. It, it is totally unprecedented. And the reason for that is that large institutional investors that had committed to zero net zero climate uh, initiatives cut off capital, refused to invest in oil and gas. And so even if we had a a lot of um, leases available, um, we don't have the capital to to pull the the resources out of the ground. That's a huge problem. And that's one of the first places I point to when I say we don't have free market capitalism today in the United States. Let me ask you this, then. You know, when Biden came into office, one of his executive orders was shut down the Keystone Pipeline. Do you think that's part of the problem we're having today with our own self-efficiency, self-sustainable resources? Well, yeah, I mean, I I think um, just in general, the, um, the whole industry, traditional energy, is under attack. And so um, my understanding is that that the Keystone Pipeline was really a a way to get Canadian uh, gas into the marketplace um, more effectively, right? And Mm -hmm. transport it from Canada down to uh, where it could be refined. Um, And so, you know, anytime you make it harder uh, for, for these commodities to move around, it increases the price. Um, and so that certainly has has played a role. But let, let me give you another example of early ESG that I think um, maybe people will appreciate and 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 um, and maybe see the the connection of what I'm talking about. So um, in 2008, 2009, or leading up to 2008, 2009, um, the Community Reinvestment Act. Um, you know, was was passed back in the 90s, early 90s, I guess, under Clinton. Um, and, and over time, that act was used really as uh, as a weapon against banks, um, to, to strong arming them in the name of social justice to provide capital to uh, people who wanted to buy homes. And so in the name of social justice, we pushed a whole bunch of capital uh, into the housing market uh, because because the thought was home ownership is a a human right or an American right, um, and so uh, the end result was a massive misallocation of capital 
um, that almost brought the uh, our entire economy down uh, because there was so much money uh, sloshing around uh, where it normally would not have gone had it not been forced to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's an early example of ESG. It's really misallocating capital. It's forcing capital to go places or to not go places based on a political view instead of letting it go where it would naturally go. So, you know, people talk about transitioning uh, off of uh, traditional energy. Where are we transit? What are we transitioning to? It's not green energy. Green energy represents 3% of power today um, uh, globally. Um, It's not a baseload power. You cannot depend on the sun and wind to generate power when you need it. Uh, And so our our traditional energy is actually a backup to green energy. And we all want uh, clean air and clean water uh, and and to be good stewards of the environment. But you can't force the market. You cannot move to something that doesn't exist. And so if you're transitioning, you're essentially transitioning to nothing, um, which is getting back to my early example of the power co-op, right? These insurance companies decide that this uh, that these cities don't deserve power because it's coal-based power. Well, we have uh, power in the state of Utah that is generated and shipped down to California, Los Angeles, and that's coal-based power. Uh, so are we supposed to shut off power to Los Angeles because it's coal-based? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what are we doing? No, that's not right. Um, and so I just, it boggles my mind that we're not having a deeper conversation about what the implications are of this policy that's being foisted on all of us and that these large financial services companies have latched onto. They should know better. They should know better than to try to undermine the markets and try to to uh, cut off power to innocent citizens. Uh, what are we doing to each other? You know, back to your comment about Shipping coal to California, coal-based uh, power. Coal-based so, yeah, power. So yeah, they need our coal, but it's coal-based. So I wouldn't even care if California didn't get an ounce of coal-based power because those people live in the dark anyway. So they should be used to it because they don't know what's going on in the real world. But well, they certainly have um, better weather and could probably withstand it better than we can up in the mountains. But <laughs> my next question is. You know, we've got like 12 minutes or so. My next question is, um, you mentioned that investments in the oil capital is really is way down, 91%. So what do you think investors are putting their money, what they're putting their money into? Because you mentioned solar. Now, I was thinking the story is they're going to reinvest in wind and solar-based uh, apparatuses. Is that not true? No, that is true. Um, there, I saw a figure, and I don't know if it was global or just U.S. I'm guessing it was global, but about $50 billion went into green energy investments um, last year. And so, but, you know, it's, 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 it's just like um, the opposite, or it's, it's sort of like what happened with um, the housing market. When you put too much money into a market, um, you often will 
push prices up, but that's unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, the returns are going to suffer when you have too much money chasing too few deals, right. Um, then, then those deals are going to be overpriced and it's going to be hard to make much money um, to have really an economic return. And so um, it really is unfortunate for uh, people who are in pension plans that are, uh, that are pursuing an ESG agenda that really leads to lower returns. Um, and it's not in the best interest of the beneficiaries. And so I, I often tell people, you know, with, with retirement money, you need to make sure that those who are overseeing the investments are not politicizing your money and are investing your money for a financial return, not to implement a political agenda. And I think most, most pension plans are, but there are some that are, uh, that are politicizing, um, the capital markets and are politicizing their investments. And, and that's where those beneficiaries should be standing up and demanding that that not happen. You mentioned, um, a good market. We have a great, well, our look, our housing market is off the chain right now. Prices are up, I mean, some cases 15, 20%, in some cases even a little bit higher. And it's not sustainable. I worry about that crash because it's inevitable. You think we're gonna get really hard? Well, well, or will Utah weather it like we normally do? But even 2008 wasn't that great for us in the housing yeah. industry. No, it was tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't have. Um a good enough sense right now on um, what's, you know, the, the supply and the demand, certainly the supply is, is it's very hard to keep up with the demand, but I don't know where that, I don't have a good feel for where the demand is. I have heard uh, of large institutional investors coming in and buying up a lot of the supply Black and that rock. makes it, well, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, yeah. I haven't looked at it close enough, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but whoever they are, right. Then that takes a lot of the supply out of the system and leads to higher prices, um, even in the face of, of rising interest rates. But I, you know, I do believe that with rising interest rates at some point that's going to kick in and, and people will not be able to afford as much of a home. And that that's going to hurt uh, the demand side and and uh, bring potentially bring prices down or at least stabilize at some level. But uh, you know when you have um, distortions in the marketplace, uh, when you have um, not enough supply uh, or you know too much demand, you're going to impact the prices. Uh, and, and that's why we've had prices going up so much like we have. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. And, you know, you, you hope that, that people who are living here have the opportunity to buy a home. Um, it's very unfortunate to see us moving to a situation where people cannot afford to buy a home and therefore have to rent. And it, it just changes the dynamic of communities in, in a bad way, I think. You know, it's interesting because uh, you see a lot of people selling their homes, cashing out, taking that profit, but yet then they don't have anywhere to go. So they find themselves in an apartment complex 
that's eating up all their money, their equity, because uh, apartment complexes, the to rent a two, a two bedroom is like twenty one hundred dollars in Salt Lake City in some mm. of these areas. I'm thinking, are you people crazy? Mm. And then there's people going out and refinancing their homes. That's another bad move because you do a refi. Yeah, you pull out the equity. But the problem is when the market writes itself, now you're upside down in a home because you owe more than you you paid for it. And then it's the true value of it is. So you're kind of screwed if you ever want to sell that house in the long term. And but and I think the triggers of this economy, the triggers know. People can give themselves the financial hawk and think they're doing so great, you know. Equity, I've always said this because I'm in the real estate gig myself. I've always said this to people. Inflated equity is not profit. It is not profit. It is debate. Unless you sell out and cash out and walk away, you're a lot in better shape. You just can't find anywhere to go. But if you do a refi, you're stuck. You're stuck. Especially if you try to do one today, your payment is going to be more expensive. And they're talking about up, sending up maybe three quarters of a point in the next few days. So, you know, you buy a house, you refinance it, your payment is going to be higher when the market resets itself and the interest rate goes down. Banks don't want to refinance you because now you're too, you're buried in it. Even though if the interest rates is fantastic. You owe more than the house is worth. You're upside down in it. And people don't right. look at the long-term game when it comes to finances. So you being a, a money guy, what's your best advice for people if real estate was in your portfolio? Oh, boy. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, I, I, I think uh, one of the challenges with real estate is the leverage right? When you're buying a home, you're not, you're typically not paying cash for the whole thing. And so that's, that's where it's great if the market is rising um, because then you pocket that, that uh, the the price differential between Mm -hmm. what you paid and what it appreciates to when you sell. But the converse is true. If you, if the price goes down, it can wipe out all your equity and then you're upside down. Right. And so, Mm That's the challenge um, with real estate, particularly in, oops, sorry, just a second. Uh, let's see. I got to get rid of that one. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so so when, when the market is going down or it looks like it may be on the verge of going down, you do have to be very, very careful because you are leveraged. Um, and... Um, and couldn't get wiped out very easily because of that, you, you know, that you don't own hundred percent of the home. So hundred percent of the real estate. Um, so, you know, I think we're in for some difficult times. Um, yeah. You know, we've got inflation rising. We've got the federal reserve uh, hiking interest rates. Um, that's going to, that's going to hurt demand. Um, and, and, the, you know, the supply will then have to come down and, and people are going to be losing jobs. And um, I've seen a lot of uh, headlines around the um, uh, food supply, right? Food chain, um, 
kind of basic necessity types of things. We've heard the president say, you know, we're in a transition and it's going to be painful, but once we're done, um, we'll all be better off for it. Right. I mean, so that tells you a lot. Um, and so I think now it's time to be more conservative, right. From a, from an investment perspective. Amen. Um, better off dead probably because you're <laughs> hell. Um, so we've got a few minutes left and, uh, I was going to ask you in the state of Utah, What's the advantage of quickly? What's the advantage of having a triple A credit score? So it's just like your personal credit rating, right? The higher the rating, then the the less money it costs to borrow or, or the lower, the cheaper interest rate you get. And so for the state of Utah, we can borrow at the cheapest rates in the capital market, which makes it less expensive for us to borrow money. And that's better for taxpayers because we're not using as much of the tax money to, to service the debt. Mm-hmm. So it's important for the state as well to maintain a balanced budget and a fantastic credit score because it, at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it benefits all of us. Because I actually didn't know how important you know credit score was to a state. You know, mm-hmm. I figure you know you get money from the federal government, and you borrow it at a good rate anyway. Nope, not the case. So, <laughs> are there some really bad states at their credit rating? California. Well, the, the lowest I think is Illinois, and they're um, they're still investment grade, um, but they end up paying significantly more when they borrow money in the capital markets. Um, uh, I don't recall what California is, but they're um, you know they're I, I think they might be single A, uh, something like that. Um, so, yeah, there's 13 states that have a triple, triple A credit rating, meaning that three credit rating agencies uh, rate them uh, each a triple A. And so those are the those are the states that are the cheapest. And we're really on kind of the top of that, I think, uh, in terms of where we borrow money. Um, we're considered the best credit uh, in the country, I believe, and, and therefore in, in the world. Hey, <laughs> Hell, uh, uh, I wonder why the rest of the freaking world can't figure this out. Maybe you guys <laughs> need to give lessons on this stuff. If a state can do it, so can you. Well, Mar- well and we, we've always been conservative, you know, managed conservatively, and that's that's a, an, a, a key asset of the state of Utah. So, well, we, we're got 30 seconds left. I can't even speak. I've got 30 seconds left. I'm going to give you uh, 40 seconds of that to say what you need to say. Let people know where to find you, your website. If they need to donate to you, you can look for donations. Go ahead. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So if you go to Marlo Oaks, www.marloomarloaks.com. Um, you can go to the website. You can read up on ESG. There's a section that says Stop ESG. You click on that, and you can read some of the articles that I've written and, and understand better what ESG is and why it's so problematic. And then you can also donate. Uh, please do donate. I'm uh, running for uh, election this year. Um, but I also, as I tell people, um, you know, what is your freedom worth? 
And, and that may give you some idea of why this is such an important issue and, and why I think it's important to support my uh, efforts to fight ESG, because it really is, uh, will lead to the end of our freedoms as we know them. So thank you for this opportunity. Again, MarloOaks.com. And uh, it's great to be with you, John. You know, Marlo, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, you're somebody great to know. I've met you at the Capitol when I did a tour uh, with my organization. And uh, I love the fact that you're fighting the fight and looking out for people such the little people such as ourselves. But I've got to close this show. I appreciate having you on. I'll see you on the state side. My name is John Harvey, and I'm your host of the Modern Conservative Podcast. Love you all. <laughs>